Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week on our show, we discuss a movie, and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies that we talk about are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined this week by Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hello. Josh Dean. Hi there. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today's movie uh, was selected by Alicia. It's the movie Eastern Promises. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Uh, I'm going to go first in a in a rare move, uh, and 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 talk about some stuff. Um, really, two things. Uh, very quickly, want to talk about uh, Paramount Plus's Clarice series, which may or may not also be on CBS. I'm not aware of such things. Um, but I watched the first five episodes, uh, after the second episode, I was pretty sure I was not going to like, uh, the show at all and probably not stick with it very much. And the third episode kind of turned a corner for me and I kind of feel like they sort of found the rhythm of the show. Um, the first two episodes are very disjointed and weird and they don't feel like they fit together. But by the third episode, it becomes clearer that there is a serialized story being told, which is a big uh, checkbox in its favor, that it's serialized rather than episodic. Um, Those first two episodes just don't feel like they're really connected to much, but then it it starts to fall together in, in episode three. Also, episode three has a bit of a Mindhunter feel to it. Um, which I'm, I'm not going to say that it's anything like close to Mindhunter. Uh, the production's not that good. The acting's not that good. The story isn't that good, but it starts to give you that sort of flavor of an FBI investigation and, uh, the, uh, um, this conspiracy that they're, they're working on and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I also think part of the trouble with the first two episodes is getting used to this new actress playing Clarice Starling. Um, She has the accent. She looks nothing like Jodie Foster. um, And they feel the need to pretty consistently flash back to scenes from what would have been silence of the lambs in their universe. So you see some Buffalo bill flashbacks and you hear about characters that were involved in the silence of the lambs. There's some carryover uh, characters and all of that. But I would say if um, I, you know, I'm not going to point Hannibal fans to this as something to scratch that itch because it's not anywhere close to as good as Hannibal was. But if you get through the third episode and you're still not feeling it, it's not for you. Um, I felt like the third, fourth, and fifth episodes, which is all that is available so far, uh, were were going in a in a fairly good direction, very in more more interesting um, than what they started with. And then the other thing that I watched was. Uh, Tiff put a movie out for digital streaming uh, Thursday or Friday last week. I saw a tweet about it and they were singing its praises and talking it up. Um, 
It was written and directed uh, by uh, two women. It was filmed in Quebec, and it's called Violation. And I didn't really read up a whole lot on what it was about or what was going on with it. The title sort of gives you an idea of what's happening. Um, but uh, I watched it, and <laughs> um, it's uh, it's one of the most tense uh, sort of menacing thriller movies I've seen um, ever. Um, if it gets released in the United States, it will be at least an NC-17, if not an X, um, because of boy parts doing things that boy parts aren't allowed to do in movies normally, unless they're on certain websites. Um, so it's a it's a, a, a fe- female written, female directed, female starring um, uh, film that is to to sort of like put it down and and classify it within this is kind of a disservice to it, but it is literally a rape revenge movie, but more realistic and much more of a woman's perspective or a woman's approach to how that would all work. Um, if you are going to see this movie, all of the trigger warnings, they're just, just all of them. Um, part of what makes the movie so effective um, and so tense is that it's not chronological. So you never know when it's going to go back or how much more it's going to show you of things that are happening. Um, you, you find out consequences of things before you find out what led up to those consequences. In some cases, the storytelling is really well done, but um, it is not an easy movie to watch in a lot of, a lot of scenes. Um, and I don't think it is particularly graphic around the, um, the sexual assault side of things, but it's extremely graphic in pretty much every other way. So, um, thanks Tiff. It was, <laughs> it was, it was nice to see a Tiff film. I haven't seen one since 2019. So, um, that was me. Christine, how about you? So I finished watching Alan V. Farrow, and that was really good. I highly recommend it. And then I watched a couple different documentaries. Uh, One was uh, More Than Miyagi, about uh, the guy who played Mr. Miyagi, Karate Kid. And then Pat Pat Morita. That was a great one. Um, and then I watched a documentary, uh, The War and Peace of Tim O'Brien, the author who wrote The Things They Carried. Uh, that was another great uh, film just about his life and the book that he most recently published called Dad's Maybe Book. Uh, he teaches uh, some graduate courses in Texas right now. Uh, my ex is actually going to school there and take some courses with him. So that was interesting to watch. Um, and then Christine, I watched... 
Yeah, he just uh, sorry to interrupt you here, but he was on an episode of Fresh Air not too long ago, and he's been on several times. But it was an outstanding episode. It might be something you want to check out if you like Tim O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And uh, his his interview segments are one of my favorite things about the Vietnam documentary, the Ken Burns documentary. He's on there quite a bit, and he's great. And he, yeah. he kind of toured with that when that that uh, Ken Burns doc came out. And he was at he was locally here in Kansas City at the public library doing um, kind of a question and answer, and it was fantastic. Yeah, he's really great. I love everything that he's had to say, especially Me in too. regards to all the Vietnam War and like all the different wars that have been going on. Just his voices. Amazing. And then um, I started watching uh, this show being Erica that they recently put up on HBO Max. Uh, It's about a woman who is going to therapy, but her therapist sends her back into places in her past in order to face things that she's been having trouble with and learn from them in order to uh, help her with the situations that are going on in her life presently. It's interesting. I hadn't heard about that one. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, Josh, how about you? Um, well, uh, continuing the X-Files rewatch, um, saw the Snyder cut, but I, I'll leave that to Zach probably to talk about. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I saw two other movies, though. Um, One Night in Miami, um, yeah. which uh, felt like a step. To, I've seen too many play-based movies lately, I think, where it's just four mm-hmm. people in a room talking to each other. Uh, so uh, it did not hold me as well as Ma Rainey's Black Bottom uh, or Boys in the Band. Um, but it's still got some good performances, but it's mostly just Malcolm X ranting at people about why they're not being more helpful. Um, then, uh, the one I did like was another round, the, um, Mads Mikkelsen movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that one really, uh, the trailer makes it look like a wacky comedy and it's not a wacky comedy in any way, shape or form. Um, so, uh, if you're in for a heavy time with, uh, teachers getting drunken during the work days, then, um, check out another round. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think he's gotten some recognition for that role. Yeah. Oh, Vinterberg yeah. got nominated for uh, directing. Yeah, best director. It. Yeah. We, we saw that a few months ago and we thought it was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. We really enjoyed it. For sure. Yeah, I would recommend it. Nathan, how about you? Okay, well, uh, so I watched um, I, the series finale, so I have completed now and with an E on Netflix. Um, I grew up uh, with uh, uh, Anne from Avonlea and Anne from uh, Green Gables. I loved those when I was a kid because my mom forced me to watch them, and I was very happy <laughs> about that. Um so, I mean, this take on it, I mean, if if you're in for that sort of thing, it's very much of a, a family hand-wringing sort of like, oh, the, the parents are stressed out because the kid's a little bit crazy and wild, and she's, you know, it, it's one of those, but it's, it's good. Um, I think it really hit its stride in the first season, and each season was slightly less good, but still pretty darn good. The last season, they kind of knew they were doing the last 
season and it was way premature compared to the actual story they wanted to tell. Um, and then of course, what complicated things was they got a back, lot of backlash about, well, it's, it's based in the, the Northeast. It's all white people. <laughs> it's white people's stories uh, for the first season. And so they started introducing some characters. That I don't remember. I don't think they were probably in the books or at least strongly in the books that were of color in the second season. And then it's like that whole thing kind of took over in season three mm-hmm. as a main plot device, which actually was very riveting uh, television. But at the same time, it was a little too on the nose occasionally with some of the, the overtures they were trying to get you to believe in or whatever. I didn't have a real problem with it, but because it really fit with the characters, but at the same time, it was a little, little too hit, hit on hit. Um, and then, of course, they decided in the last episode, I guess because they figured out they were going to have to cancel the series, they decided to like warp speed through the rest of the plot. So um, it was a little bit rough on that. <laughs> uh, seriously, it was like five more seasons worth of plot in that last episode. Um, and then uh, we so also the watched. Cut. It was kind of <laughs> well. I wouldn't know. I'm not watching that Snyder Snyder cut. We can have a whole conversation about that. I'm not going to touch it. I'll let Zach. I'll let Zach kind of enjoy that. I didn't like either of the first two uh, Zack Snyder Superman movies, so I'm just not thinking it's worth my time. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I watched was um, I, I asked Alicia if she knew by the title if she could guess what it was, and it took her like three or four tries, and I finally had to go, okay, it's this. I watched The Last Blockbuster on Netflix. Yeah, I which, saw that. Uh, I saw ads for it. I haven't watched it. It's it's silly fun. It was something I could easily watch on an afternoon while I was stuffing envelopes for something else. Um, I think the, the central storyline was pretty flimsy, but uh, so it's about the last blockbuster video in existence that's in uh oregon Mm -hmm. and uh i I actually thought they were in alaska but the the two in alaska closed before this one did and i think the one in bend oregon maybe still be open um but it's entertaining and interesting it's more of like a uh i love the 80s vh1 style talking heads of celebrities that are like d-list celebrities um noshing on how amazing it was to go into a blockbuster video store yeah yeah it was all right (laughs) yeah but it was passing the time right yeah i I remember them talking about the alaska ones and people being very excited that those were still around for a while and then uh, Mm -hmm. um we had family home video open up a bunch of locations here and then coronavirus killed them last year so yep so that's pretty much the end of of chain video stores as far as right now goes yeah the we used to have one here uh in waldo called rso video that uh or sro video standing room only video and it was a fantastic store but it was mainly fantastic because that was the place to go if you wanted to buy rent this incredibly obscure movie that you couldn't find anywhere on streaming yeah yep uh all right, Zach, let her rip. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been holding this in for such a long time. Uh, I'm actually going to start off with a few uh, TV shows that I watched. Uh, the uh, season three finale of American Gods on Stars. Um, I feel like the adaptation in the three seasons has been pretty good. 
it's gotten looser, but I've been okay with it because I think the storytelling is actually very appropriate. Plus, Neil Gaiman is an executive producer, so he's going to be approve of most of the things that are written for it. Um, and the third season kind of got a Dexter twist where it was like new showrunner, new producers, new everybody. So like Orlando Jones left and a bunch of other people left and Crispin Glover wasn't going to come back, but he, then he came back a lot of controversy with the American gods. Um, but I ended up liking the third season. I thought it was uh, done really well overall. Um, it focuses a lot on a specific story within the novel that I really thought was very boring. Um, and is like two thirds of the novel, but they yeah. made it into one season and did a great job with it. So chef's kiss on that. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's a good, it's a good series <laughs> so far. Um, I, I checked out that murder among the Mormons. Cause I think Dale, you had mentioned it. A couple of other people maybe had seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was an interesting documentary, something I hadn't heard about. Um, I mean, the Mormon church is always fascinating. Um, so that was just like even deeper into the complexities of the world of Mormons um, and the uh, Latter-day Saints and all that. Um, I wasn't really shocked by anything. I kind of, again, almost like sort of figured it out a little too early. And like, even though it's not like it's a a big surprise, you can go Google it and whatever. Um, But I was like, I was like, there's no way this guy is like these, these papers do not look like they're 150 years old. Like, I mean, all these experts are like, we're going to, we're going to test it with our Xenon lab and like, make sure that it's, you know, an official. And you're like, dude, look at it. Come on, look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that was interesting though. And then he especially was like, really? Yeah. Like that's still holding up (laughs) after 200 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, started Falcon and Winter Soldier series on uh, the old uh, Disney. And uh, um, I got to say, like right out of the gate, not really that impressed just because like it's like everything else Marvel where WandaVision was so different that I actually was very refreshed in how like just kind of fun they were having with it. Um, and, and I, and I was along for the ride and then Falcon and Winter Soldier is like straight up, just like everything else. And like, that's fine. I love Marvel, but like, I don't know. Why are you going to spend millions of dollars to just tell this weird side story when it's like, let's, let's give it a theme. Let's give it a tone. Let's give it something. And maybe they'll get there. Maybe I'm just too critical too quickly, but like straight up, it was like watching an early episode of any Marvel film, you know, like, you know. So yeah. a little critical on that, but I'll still I, watch I it. Obviously haven't seen it, but um my my favorite thing around that is that uh there was some promotional like poster or something, like digital poster that people were sending around um that was official. It was like what Disney made for it. And Bucky is like like this with his hands, sort of in the top right of the poster. And Everybody was commenting that he was playing uh, Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights and he didn't know what to do with his hands. <laughs> just like some people have a gun, some people have like, you know, their fist up or whatever. And Bucky's just kind of like raising his hands for some reason. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for that to be hopefully in the show where he's just like, that's his shtick or whatever. Like, I assumed it was going to be like Starsky and Hutch a little bit, you know, like I felt like that was <laughs> what they were kind of like going for, but it is not that at all. It's 
it's just going more in depth with into these characters that like no offense i think they're played really well by the actors but i don't care about these two characters these are two characters in the marvel universe that i will never love they're just there and i know other people love them but like i don't need a show on them as like i felt well, like i did to be yeah. fair i don't think people were clamoring for more wanda and vision either true true so. i mean that is true yeah I, I that's I, I like them more now because of the show than i did previously so maybe that'll be the same with this one yeah um i don't know how to make this as brief as i can because there's so many things i would love to say about Zack snyder's justice league um you do not have four hours uh, yeah <laughs> i i i'll say this my wife asked me i was like hey babe it's coming out tonight can we watch it when i get home she's like of course let's do it how long is it i was like it's a little over two hours that was not the case she stuck with me though she stuck with me and i gotta say my wife is actually pretty critical of just film in general but like especially marvel you know any of that kind of stuff superhero stuff and she was even enjoying it to the point where she quit at hour three to go to bed because she was tired but she wants to finish it and i was like that's pretty good so um listen i get it (laughs) zach schneider's not for everybody um and and this series of of dc films is not for everybody i am extremely satisfied with what I was given from Zack Snyder based upon my love of his films and style and and the way that he does stuff. But I understand people's objectivity to it. You know, like there's definitely, it's different. It's weird. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's got its own thing. Um, and storytelling wise, it's kind of the same situation. Um, so for those people who are giving it a shot, that's great. I understand that a lot of people at least are appreciating it more than um, the Whedon cut which was just garbage. And it's very apparent that you can tell just the differences already. Just like in the first hour alone, you can just be like, holy shit, this feels like already kind of a different thing than what I experienced previously. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, upset with any of the, you know, criticisms that have gone around with lots of things about it. But at the same time, I'm going to watch the shit out of it as many times as I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as your, as your wife finishing the movie, um, I do have one suggestion for you when you show her the, the, the rest. Mm-hmm. And that is that when they get to that hero shot, that looks like the end of the movie, just stop it and tell her that's the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, but there's so many wonderful, uh, moments at the, uh, she at will the, not. The, uh, be interested or care and it it will probably damage her her uh uh opinion about the movie at that point it's it's likely it's likely i i, I did love that that like there was a part of me at one point that goes i know the joker's in this i know the joker's in yeah. this and then i finally get to the fucking joker and i'm like you dicks <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but i st- i stuck with it so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll I'll tell her that's it, and then she'll be like, "What about the Joker?" And then we'll see what happens. So, I, I think knows. everyone's pretty universally uh, says that it's better than what came out in theaters. Um, yeah. Not that it's a good movie, but that it's better than what came out in theaters, and it certainly makes sense. Um, it certainly, uh, you know, isn't trying to be uh, so made by committee the way that justice league ended up being cut and, and re redone and remade. 
Um, it's kind of insane how much of the movie we got, uh, like how much they shot that, that we never saw until this version. Um, like there's effect shots in there that like somebody worked six months on and it just wasn't in the movie. Yeah, the whole scene with uh, basically not this isn't a spoiler, but like it's a whole new scene with the Flash, where we kind of yeah. get to see his powers early on. A totally cut scene from the film that was, like you said, the effects would have taken t- a t- a so much time on that. It's That's insane. what I was talking about. Yeah, that that Flash scene is like like hundreds of people worked like mm-hmm. six months on that scene, and it just wasn't there in the movie. Um, uh, Red Letter Media put out a really good review of it today. Um, They didn't know which of their shows to put it on, whether it should be a half in the bag or a best of the worst or whatever. (laughs) So they called it a uh, uh, half in the worst. (laughs) They like combined a couple of their shows and talked through it. And they said that uh, there's actually a, a fight scene that happens at about the two hour mark in the movie that could have been a fairly solid cliffhanger to split it in half and make it into two movies. I agree. And that if they had done that, it probably were to worked out fine. And at one point that was the plan. Yeah. The justice league was going to be part one and part two. And then they just kept scaling it back and reshuffling and recutting. So, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that would have definitely but, been beneficial, but, you know, we got what we got from the other one, and yeah. AT&T wants more people on HBO Max, so they gave <laughs> Zack Snyder the money. Warner Brothers is pissed. They really never wanted it to come out, so. One of the better yeah. memes I've seen out of that, uh, this whole Zack Snyder cut shtick, is uh, someone posted a picture, I guess, Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, when Robin Williams was doing it, he had so many wacky one-liner jokes that he was doing because they filmed it. They actually they could have done an NC-17 version. Yeah. So I've seen a meme that says, come on, bring us the NC-17 cut. Of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah. That's also true. Which I have to of, agree with. <laughs> uh, that's also true of Aladdin. Yeah. Uh, they recorded a whole bunch of stuff for Aladdin that will never be put into a Disney oh. film. I would love to um, see the Guy Ritchie cut, like the real Guy Ritchie cut of Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Alicia, how about you? I've been super busy this week, so I haven't gotten to watch as much. Uh, we did watch one night continuing something we had kind of left behind for a few weeks, which was some Star Trek movies. So we watched First Contact, which is good. It's a quality generations movie. So you can't beat the Borg. So we watched that, had a good time. Uh, other than that, besides watching sh- some show episodes that we've talked about in nauseam, I think, on, on the podcast, so I'm not going to bring them up, but we did watch um, a new, well, I think a new series on Netflix. We we didn't get very far in it, but it's called Marriage or Mortgage, and I think it might be a little timely for the two of us since we were, were planning a wedding this year and then also thinking about, you know, possibly getting another house here at some point. So it's basically couples that are having to make a decision if they want to spend money on a huge wedding or if they want to get a house. But it sounds like from what Nathan told me that he'd read up a little bit on it, that a lot of these people, they filmed it and then COVID hit. So some of them that chose the wedding 
spent all this cash and didn't even have the big wedding. So that's disappointing. But but we didn't get very far through that series, but that might be something we pick back up with. Uh, Otherwise, I was just watching kind of as a little, you know, multitasking in the background, a show that I think originated on the BBC that I believe is called My Life in Five Dishes. I like my food shows. So this was a show that had different chefs um, that were essentially making, they were talking about their past and how they you know, grew up and came to be and all that kind of stuff. And they would make five dishes that were significant to their life. So maybe it's something their mom made, maybe it's something that got them their Michelin star, whatever it might be. But it was more about the stories of kind of how, you know, how they, they came up in the world and, and, uh, and got into being a chef and all that kind of thing. So it was kind of interesting. It's, it's definitely not a momentous television moment that everyone must go watch. But I think it's, it's a good multitasking show for those of you who like food porn like I do. And you want to watch somebody making something good and hear some good stories and find out a little trivia maybe about some chefs you might know. So um, yeah, it, it was it was good. I, I might finish it, but probably it's not going to be a great urgency. And just when I have some time, I'll maybe pop it on. Well, I'm curious to ask the question of the group, uh, and I'll start. Marriage or mortgage? And the answer is mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The show's kind of funny because they they hook up like uh, there's a wedding planner, so they see all the options they have for that to spend $30,000. And then the mortgage person or the realtor, which I I know a little bit about, uh, and she shows them all these houses. So, and they're kind of like they've got a rivalry, obviously going the the realtor and the wedding planner about who, who's going to get them. You know what I mean? Like, One day ooh. versus the rest of your life, right? But but of course, the Give wedding planner break. is like, this is the most important event you're going to no, ever have in your life. It's really not. You'll forget most of it within five years. There like, you go. It's just not. Well, they're not now because it's on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I saw that on Netflix and I went, no, I, I'm already I'm already no, committed to ninety day fiance. This is a ninety day fiance situation. This is like the crash you have to look at when you drive by. Yeah. I think it's it's something you definitely want to watch because you want to yell at the television about what they're doing. You have zero land to stand on. That's true. Too. No, no, no. I'm no. I'm not saying. I'm not saying I'm above it. I'm saying. Yes. I've picked my poison, and Fair I'm enough. sticking with Fair my enough. poison. Well, this, there's I'm not, not adding another one. How many one. seasons are there now of, of 90 Day Fiance? The base show or the spinoffs? Oh, God. All right. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> is it in the double digits? The base show is in season eight, but there's like 15 episodes a season, and they're all 90 minutes. Okay. Well, this is like, what, eight episodes of this? It's. I think it's the lesser of the two evils, probably, but there you go. I'm committed. I've watched okay. hundreds of episodes of 90 Day Fiance. Congratulations. Point, so. I think ninety. if it's a 90-minute episode for 90 days, they ought to commit to a format where they literally only have a minute to tell what happened on each 90 oh, day. Oh, that's a good idea. It's so like, and <laughs> with, with coronavirus hitting that show as well, like they spread things so thin that yeah. like they, you get, and there's like, I don't know, 10, 12 couples that they go with every season that they're talking about with all this stuff every season. And so, you know, the whole reality show format of show all the big moments at the beginning as a teaser, 
and then wait through the long, boring ass scene for that one moment to happen and then move on to the next thing. It's, um, it's a show that you can watch without really paying attention and miss nothing because it, it's very repetitive. Um, and they, they always recap the show before, you know, when they start a new one and they always tell you everything that's going to happen in the next episode at the end of each episode. It, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, Bud Light. It is like, just <laughs> like just the most basic, uh, whatever kind of kind of show but uh <laughs> um watching dumb people do dumb things uh there's a there's a layer of sh- schadenfreude to it um that is hard oh, yeah. to pass up so uh well alicia suggested a movie for us to watch this week i did it, it was called eastern promises uh we all watched it had anyone seen it before i had okay so, uh, Christine, let's start with you. What did you think of Eastern Promises? I enjoyed it. I had seen a couple Cronenberg movies before. So, going into this movie, I was like, oh, Cronenberg, that's cool. Uh, this was definitely the least Cronenberg, Cronenberg movie I've ever seen <laughs> uh, by a long stretch because uh, I'm used to, you know, Videodrome and The, the Brood. Um, but I really enjoyed the story of. Uh, the nerd, the midwife uh, Anna, dealing with uh, the, the Russian mafia type deal and everything in order to save this baby and try to get her back to her family. Um, and then uh, I was always kind of because we talked about it a little bit last week, how there was a little bit of a penis scene there. Uh, so I was, when they got to the steam room, I was like, oh, here it comes. Like, <laughs> uh, but that fight scene was really good. I enjoyed watching Viggo Mortensen just take them all out naked like that. That was pretty good. Um, and then I just like that whole theme of uh, trying to do the right thing even though it might be compromising to your ideals in the case of Anna uh, trying to do the right thing for the baby, whether it means giving her up as she thought uh, to get that address and but then she ends up taking her in at the end uh, and then just all of those different elements of the story were good. Yeah, so I had not seen this movie before, um, and it took me a good 25 minutes to sort of get into it. Um, the The opening, I felt like, you know, it, it turns out to be for a reason, but it, it sort of, it seems kind of complicated and mysterious uh, when you first start watching it, and there's not really a uh, like a a hero type main character that you can root for right away. You're you're just sort of, it's very clinical the way it's presented Uh, very third person. Um, So 
you're just sort of watching these events unfold and you don't really necessarily care about the characters all that much. Um, in my mind, really, until the twist, when we find out that Viggo Mortensen is actually an FSB agent um, working undercover and working his way up to uh, become basically the, the mafia boss in London and selling out the patriarch and the brother that he's working with and all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the fight scene was, was weird and whatever. Um, it, it was interesting. Um, I like the whole idea of, you know, this is London, so there's no guns and they're carrying linoleum knives, which you could, you could possibly like walk around with a linoleum knife in London and people wouldn't like get freaked out about that. But, um, Vigo Mortensen cer- certainly shows you how violent he can be with them. Um, I I liked it overall. I I enjoyed the twist of it. Um, I think it's just kind of strange how it takes a while for you to sort of realize that Vigo Mortensen's the hero of the story, and that's the that's sort of the twist of it. Um, and him being in charge at the end is is the whole what he wanted all along. Um, they even make like a mini twist out of the fact that that Naomi Watts ends up with the baby at the end of the movie. But Naomi Watts has top billing and is in like 20% of this movie. Like, I feel like she's just kind of barely there. And her her goal and motivation is the same the entire movie. It's like, we, we need to take care of this baby. What are you doing today, Naomi Watts? I'm trying to figure out how to take care of this baby. <laughs> okay. What are we doing about that today? Well, we're going to go to a restaurant and give the diary to this guy, and he's going to give us information for the baby. Oops, he didn't do that. Well, what are we going to do now? We're going to do something for this baby. Um, so it's interesting. I think the twist is probably the most interesting thing about it. I don't know if that's enough for me to say I would recommend it to people and say, you know, watch it for the sort of Russian mafia godfather sort of story. Um, Stay for the um, the weirdly taste of honey esque social mores thing that goes on in it. Um, But uh, um, it was it was decent. It was decent. Josh, how about you? Uh, yeah, so the first time I saw this, uh, the only two things that I remembered from it, uh, I guess I saw it when it first came out, which, what year did this come out? 2007. Seven. So I remembered the bath fight, and I remembered the opening neck slice. And those were the only two things I remembered about the movie. The, the most violent parts of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That and the uh, the the woman like violently hemorrhaging in the drugstore. Exactly. It's like, holy yeah. shit! <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, so, uh, sorry, my connection just went wonky for a second. Um, but, 
Yeah, uh, the those were the most Cronenberg parts of it too. I feel like he brought his horror game to a non-horror story, um, which uh, it kind of elevated the violence a little bit, uh, made it a little more wince-inducing um, instead of just you know. Uh, Instead of a godfather throat slit, we got a throat saw at the beginning, um, which kind of set the tone, or I thought was going to set the tone for the movie. It was also anatomically questionable. (laughs) Like, his throat went down to, like, here, like, (laughs) mid-chest. So that appliance, like, it, it blended with his skin really well, but it made his neck look like it started at his heart. Um... (laughs) Indeed. Um, I'd forgotten Naomi Watts was in this, so that's speaking to Dale's yeah, um, uh, thing. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think I, that's an intentional fake out. Uh, that she did that. The swerve from her being the main character. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a Janet Lee and Psycho kind of thing. I could see that. Um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Vincent Cassell's performance a lot. Um, yeah. The uh, his obvious love for um, Viggo Mortensen and um, the how that kind of slowly unfolded over the course of the movie. Seeing it a second time, I remember. I started to remember. I was like, "Oh, right, 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 right." Because um, it, it's not obvious from the beginning, but um, it, it kind of shows itself in little uh, moments. But um, Armin Mueller is that his name? Armin um, Mueller Stahl. Stahl, yeah. Uh, he had a little moment in the sun there in the early 2000s and then vanished. Um, but great villain, I thought, uh, too. Yeah, he's excellent in the movie. Yeah. So I enjoyed it as a crime thriller. Um, and I'd forgotten, yeah, how how well done it was till I watched it again. So, yeah, I, I recommend it. He uh, disappeared to Germany, which Back is where he's from. Sure. And has, has done a bunch of movies over there. Um, but uh, not a whole lot. He was in the Knight of Cups back in 2015. Oh, right. I, I saw that. I'd blocked most of that out then. So, yeah. Z- Zach, how about you? Uh, this film uh, was introduced to me in a very strange way. I had mentioned on our last one that I had a kind of a weird story connected to it. Um, I was in, yeah, right. Warm it up. Here we go. I was in college. So Zach Snyder. Uh, yes, <laughs> this actually all has to tie into just uh, the, the Justice League, everything I say. Um, <laughs> I was in a playwriting class, and uh, as we were working on ideas for plays, um, I had come up with an idea, and I was even trying to find like old notes the other day, and I couldn't find anything because like who keeps stuff from that long ago, you know, paper and whatnot. Um, but nonetheless, I had submitted a, kind of like a loose uh, draft a story of, uh, you know, basically this, uh, and my playwriting, um, teacher, he goes, well, this is a very good story, but have you ever seen the movie Eastern promises? (laughs) And I was like, no. (laughs) And he's like, you should watch it. And I was like, okay. So I went and watched it. Um, Rosebud is a sled. You say, (laughs) God damn it. I was like, how, how, how is this possible? Uh, and then as I was getting my degree in writing, obviously you learn that, you know, you can have same ideas and concepts as other authors and other writers that you might not have known or heard about or whatever. It's just like a collective consciousness yeah, situation. Parallel thinking. Yeah. But he, but he mentioned, he's like, but the, th- the way that you're thinking is obviously in a way that 
is writing that is getting produced and made. So that's a good thing. So don't take it as like a, you're not good enough or you can't think of an original idea. It's that you're on the right track. So I always took that to heart. Um, so I did watch it. I really enjoyed it the first time that I saw it. I will say this time through, I, I don't, I don't, how's the way to say it? I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just that like kind of what a lot of what Dale was saying, where there was just, it took me a little longer to get into it. Um, and there were some amazing moments. Vigo Mortensen is, is definitely amazing. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed a lot of things that I've seen him in. Um, there was just like parts of it that I was like, yeah, this is kind of slow, kind of, you know, painting a picture and telling a story. And um, I, I felt like the first time I was watching it was really like shock and awe. I was like, so kind of younger. And I was like, oh my goodness, stuff like this happens and this is real and you yeah. know, things like that, you know. And this time I'm like, well, the world has changed quite a bit. And, you know, I learn more as I get older. And Sure. Um, but I also think like, Losing the mystery and some of the suspense from seeing it before will also color the second time that you watch it, right? Yeah. Like, you're not as on the edge of your seat about what's going to happen. Like, you know who survives the movie and who doesn't. And exactly. That makes I, a difference. I really thought there was more action. And so maybe that's why I was like, I remember there being so much more action. And it's really because of the bath fight scene, which is so well done. But then yeah. it made me for kind of forget that the rest of the movie was more of that slow moving edge of your seat thriller situation. Um, you know, not to say again that I didn't enjoy it. It was just a different watch the second time through. And it wasn't normally the one where we have like, Oh, well the second time I watched it, I loved it even more. Um, it was just one of those ones where I was like, Oh, okay. Now I, I, the world has changed for me. And um, this was my experience with it. So um, I think overall, though, uh, if you, people haven't seen it, it's definitely well worth the watch. Um, hopefully you've watched it before you've listened to this because we've spoiled so many things. Um, and I would recommend it if anybody was like, hey, name a Viggo Mortensen movie I haven't seen. And I'd probably be like this one. Oh, if you Captain want to see Fantastic. Viggo Mortensen's Wang Doodle, this is the movie for you. Uh, <laughs> I thought I, it was bigger, I, I too. I forgot to mention when I was, uh, when I was talking about it uh, that after um, that Alicia lucked out that I probably would have been like a little bit more like freaked out by that whole scene. Uh, if I hadn't seen violation like 48 hours before watching this, <laughs> uh, cause violation is like way more wang doodle than you would <laughs> expect there to ever be in a movie. And there it is. So, yeah, uh, I don't think he does show anything in a violent history. Did anybody see a violent history? A history of violence. History of violence. Thank yeah, you, Jesus. I, I've seen it. I mean, there's a pretty what at the uh, maybe at the time it's been a few years since I watched. It's sort of like the piano scene. scene. Yeah, I feel like it was more just sexy, but without seeing a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, but but it's been a few years since I saw it. Same. Yeah, I mean, you might get like a glimpse in that movie, kind of like. Well, not quite as like. It's probably more Viggo Mortensen butt in that one. I would yeah. guess. Oh. Mm -hmm. Something else I did want to mention, I got to play a Russian thug in Daredevil. Um, I think it was the second season. And I got a bunch of those tattoos put Ooh. on me for my appearance in Daredevil, which I thought was so cool. Like, again, just watching it and being like, yeah, these tattoos are like super important. So did you know um, what they all meant? The ones you had? No, not even close. I mean, okay. I think I definitely, I had like a semblance of a star, but not the same stars. And then I had a bunch of stuff on my fingers. 
um, and knuckles and things like that. But I also had, it, it was supposed to be like post fight. So I had like special effects, like my nose was broken and I have like blood coming down my face. Um, it was such a fun day to work on any set just to be like special effects makeup is super cool, but you have to be there for a while. But then like, yeah, all those tattoos and everything. And that's when I met Rosario Dawson, which was also a really fun cool. moment for me as well. So, uh, we had a nice little conversation. Um, she's a very sweet woman. And very tiny, tinier than you would think. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Right on. Nathan, how about you? Uh, you know, so when uh, Alicia picked this one, I actually got it conflated with the other one uh, that we were just talking about, History the of History violence. of Violence. Um, this one, if I recall correctly, now that I remember, now that we've watched it again, um, this one was like Viggo Mortensen, pretty fresh off the whole Lord of the Rings thing. And so it was the first time I really remember seeing him in anything other than that and how different his character was. He's really kind of the reason to watch this. Um, Naomi Watts, I mean, if you'd told me she was a superstar and I'd only seen this movie, I would have been like, why? Because <laughs> she's she doesn't she hold doesn't a have lot a of, character. She doesn't have a character. She doesn't hold she doesn't hold the screen attention at all. Uh, honestly, the best part about her character were her. I think it's her aunt and uncle, mom and uncle, mom and uncle. They were hilarious. I loved her uncle. I I could have done with a lot more of him, honestly. Um, but uh, and he's got a super interesting face. I don't know what about it, but he he just looks like a character I want to see more of. Um, and of course the fight scene is really, really good, but I've seen so many really good fight scenes, very similar that it's not a real standout, honestly. Um, I just kind of feel like this movie was very middle of the road and it's no wonder I've pretty much completely forgotten about seeing it. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I, I had, I didn't really remember any of it, honestly. I remembered that he was in it. And I, you know, as we were going, I'm like, okay, I kind of remember this. And oh, okay, his haircut. There were a couple of scenes where I was playing. <laughs> there were a couple of scenes where I was playing head cannon that he was playing the same character as he did in Green Book, and just like putting on this <laughs> yeah. whole Russian accent, and that's how he got undercover. And that's fair. That's he's that's a driver fair. in that too. Yeah. So true. And, you, and Nathan, you said middle of the road, and he's in the movie The Road, so. You know, there's a oh, lot of ties oh, yeah. to this whole thing. <laughs> this whole road thing, yeah. I, yeah. I think the road was better than this movie. I liked the road. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of like it's an okay for a random Saturday matinee to watch and probably forget. It's yeah. not bad. It's just not great. Fair enough. Well, Alicia, it's tradition. Uh, what the hell? Why did we watch Eastern Promises? Well, like a lot of the other movies I've picked, it's been a few years since I saw it. Um, And I I think it holds up a lot better than like Water for Chocolate. But at the same time, I think, yeah, I I think I agree with a lot of you said in particular, Zach, that I think at the time I saw it, it really captivated me. Um, I had not seen a lot of Cronenberg at the time yet. I was was younger. I... um, I, you know, I, I still, even watching it now, the Russian mafia thing fascinates me. I mean, just that. It's the same fascination with movies like The Godfather or whatever, but the tattoos and, I mean, that whole scene where they're kind of, I mean, it's not swearing him in, but essentially promoting him to the upper ranks of of the of the mafia. I mean, the stuff they're asking, do you, you don't have a mother, you don't have a father. I'm like, holy shit. You know, like that that kind of stuff was... 
I think really fascinating and Vigo Mortensen does a great job and I think um, you know his obviously the fight scene left a big impression at the time and his willingness to do that as well which is a whole thing as well for you know not everybody was you know willing to get down into their you know minus skivvies and do something like that at the time I think except Ewan McGregor he's always out there but other than him <laughs> that was about it so um, I think I, there was a lot of elements I really liked. I liked the mystery of it. I, I agree that really, in many ways, I mean, Mueller stall is just so amazing in this movie. It was like this movie that I really noticed him for the first time as being a really remarkable actor. And then I'd see other things with him in it, usually not as big of a part, but always made an impression. And I think he's a really great villain you know he's he's like the godfather in that he's a sweet guy that owns the restaurant and he's bringing out the cake for the hundred year old woman while they're telling him in the back about you know somebody they got to knock off you know i mean that kind of thing i love that duality of it is really good but yeah i think i don't know how much of it is other films that come have come out since making this not as highly viewed in my mind as it once was or if it's my own viewing experience and seeing other movies or seeing more Cronenberg movies and, and kind of thinking this is, you know, diet Cronenberg in some ways true, which in a lot of ways it is. I mean, it's definitely not Crash. I mean, it's definitely not like a lot of movies he does. But right. but I think it's a little more mainstream maybe for, I, I mean, it's it's even a little more mainstream than A History of Violence, I think, in some ways. But, but I still think it's a good movie. I still think it's a movie a lot of people would like if they're okay with some of the really blatant, vi- I mean, if you can get over that very first five minutes of the movie, if you're, if you're in, then you can handle the rest of the stuff. But that first five minutes kind of sets a tone, although, like a lot of you mentioned, they don't really pick up with that again. They don't until sustain you see it. The big, no, yeah. no. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's just... But does that make it have a bigger impact? For uh, Probably for a pedestrian movie watcher that that's a fine impact that's plenty of impact you know but but yeah it doesn't really sustain that but i mean even that scene in the bathhouse it's tense the entire time and i think because it's the knives because you know stabbing the guy in the eye to finish the fight is super graphic and and drawn out yeah you know so i was i I was thinking to myself like why are you climbing over that guy's body Right, right. <laughs> Why just are you in doing case, that? Just in case. But he's not That's, doing it just in case. He like goes all right. the way over him and like yeah. waits for him to like slash at him again. Oh yeah, so. I know. I, I mean, we could. He's not thinking. It's the shortest way to the exit. <laughs> I don't know. Still not a good idea. But, um, but yeah, I mean that kind of stuff. Like, I've seen a lot of violent movies, but I was cringing. You know, especially I think stabbing anybody in the eye. I think just kind of gets me a little bit more anyway. But. But so I think there's a lot of good points. I agree. Naomi Watts is very plain vanilla. You could have put any actress in that role and I would have maybe forgotten who it was because of what that role was and what they did. It's not very memorable, but um her but British I, accent's know, decent. Sure. Sure. She can she's pretty good at pulling off I think quite a few accents, but but she not that she's really typecast that much. Um, or, or cast into really varying accents too much besides Australian and British. But, but um, yeah, her family was good. Vigo's great. I mean, the hair is a bit distracting, but he's great. <laughs> the evolution of him, you know, as he evolves. And I think especially, my one of the things I really appreciate more the more I've watched it, though, for this movie is that relationship he has with Kareel. I think that is, you know, it seems very just kind of friends or I'm looking, I work for you at the beginning, 
but then it just it really evolves and not only are you seeing that Kirill loves him but you're seeing that he's totally fed into that because he he knows that's the path to power you know what I mean like he's going to suck up to dad and get in dad's good graces by by kind of playing and you know I actually mentioned to Nathan as we're in the middle of the movie I was like, you know what? I don't think I realized when I picked this how close in some ways this is to Road to Perdition that I was my first pick yeah. on the show. In yeah. that the the screw up son with the mafia dad and the the other person being the more reliable person that works for the family. But but those parallels there were kind of interesting. And then but you know, Vigo is just his character is brilliant having how he's navigating that road, you know, to have the life he's had, but also to know to to do these things to get the approval of the father, even though the father actually does double cross him at the end, but at the same time he trusts him a lot more than his son. He's just more allegiant to his son because yeah. of blood. But I uh, I um and maybe maybe it just wasn't clicking for me. I wasn't paying too much attention to the uh, the son character, mm-hmm. um, you know, more than just like he's an abrasive dick most of the movie sure. and yeah. that kind of thing. And when Viggo Mortensen tells the dad that he's a queer, I thought it was like a chess move on his part, knowing that the father would like basically betray his son over it. Cause yeah. they talk about, they're going to give him up to the Chechnians in two days. So yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't catch that. There was like that the, the son and, the son was like in love with Viga Mortensen's character. Cause he's mm-hmm. such an asshole to him all the time mm-hmm. and just in general. Um, but maybe well, I we wasn't actually paying had a close enough attention to it. Yeah. Uh, we had a similar conversation when we were watching it. I was, I, cause I, I think this was the first time I noticed that the dad actually already knew that his son was queer. Oh, right. For sure. And he, yeah. and he yeah. wanted, and, and for Vigo to be honest with him was the right move in mm-hmm. that, in that, in that sense. But see, and it, when I found out that he was FSB, I was like, oh, okay, he's getting the son out of the way so that the father mm-hmm. promotes him and then, you know, mm-hmm. he's all set. Um, but it feels like at the end, he's gotten rid of both of them. Well, That's I think the I main thing ask. is he can control the son. So the son's still there. I think the he- son's off to the Chechnians. I think they oh, went I right thought ahead the son is just now the son is allowed the freedom that he doesn't have to be in the family business if he doesn't want to. He's still in charge, okay. but I think he's kind of giving him the ability. You know what? You want to go party every night? Go party every night. I'll take care of things for you. It's fine. We'll just you know kind of playing him like an Augustus Caesar situation. I'm just going to act like you're in charge and get your approval and whatever. But I'm really the one pulling all the strings. So I yeah, kind of thought enough. of it more like that. But but I think that's an advantage of multiple viewings of this. Like when they go to the the house that has all the Russian prostitutes, the young teenage girls, and he is just so demanding that Viggo Mortensen has sex with this girl. I mean, a lot of it is because of the fact he's in love with Viggo Mortensen. Sitting in his lap at the time. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that's all, you know, I think that's something you really, you start to pick up on a lot more, obviously, the second time watching it, you know, seeing how he's acting towards Vigo and all this kind of stuff is very interesting. So I think that's an advantage of watching more than once, although I do agree that over time, I think it's lost a little bit more of its luster for me. Well, and Dale, the whole Chechen thing, that was the bathhouse. That's why he set up Vigo Mortensen to be the son. 
that's oh, that was the Chechens. Yeah. Right, so right. his son would live and Vigo would die. And yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Which does still surprises me a little bit in that plot because he does really act like he knows that it's really Vigo Mortensen that's that would be the better protege to have. But yet he's so quick to betray him over his son that he knows is an imbecile, like he wouldn't be able to take over the business. So it kind of still surprises me that he makes that choice. What so, I thought, um, what I thought was that he sent Vigo there on purpose because he knew Vigo could handle it. Like he knew Vigo could take maybe. care of them. That could be. That's know. true. I or maybe like it was be. a test to prove himself. Maybe even who knows. And I thought it was potentially because he knew he was an outsider. Like he kept catching him slipping like he's like you don't act like this because people who are in the family don't act like this so it's kind of like all right he's like dale was saying playing chess like tell me what you know be honest with me and i can tell whether or not you're a part of this you know what's the uh, not the kbgb but the fsb fsb yeah there we go um like i almost thought he knew that so then he was sending him in because he was trying to get rid of him because he knew he was a mole. I don't know. I mean, it could go anywhere, really. Yeah. yeah. But that that's a good thing about it is it makes you think about that a little bit. And I, I really, yeah. s- still after watching it this time, I wonder about what's Viggo Mortensen's life like that he did grow up in Siberia and all these things happened. He was in prison. He's got the tats. What flipped him? Like what? And how did that go down? And how did somebody make contact and decide that he's going to be on their side? Like that, I kind of wonder. I want to see the prequel to this a little bit and find out what mm-hmm. happened with him. Well, you mentioned a prequel. Um, so for a long time, uh, Cassell, Mortensen, and Cronenberg were set on making a sequel to this movie. Um, as late as 2013, they were about to go into production on it. And... Cronenberg, uh, something happened with the production and Cronenberg walked away and, uh, they, uh, the, the guy that was running focus, uh, films at that point, I guess, didn't give him the budget for it or something went wrong with it after it had been in development hell for quite a while. Um, as of December, 2020, um, the movie is coming out as, a separate movie called small dark look with basically the same story as the sequel would have had, but with a new cast and Jason Statham is going to play the Vico Mortensen role. Really? Oh God. Okay. So we'll see if that actually gets made, but uh, (laughs) there you go. Like nothing against Jason Statham, but no, that doesn't make any sense. This needs a little more depth than I think he's got. Yeah. I, I'm. I cannot wait to hear the Russian version of "You know what I mean," because <laughs> that's that's that's. Do you know what I mean? As two syllables from Jason Statham, <laughs> "You know what I mean." <laughs> On that note, uh, Josh, it is your turn to select the next movie for us. What would you like for us to watch? Uh, I would like for us to watch a movie I mentioned a while back called. Uh, Joint Security Area, JSA. Um, it's a Korean movie. Um, even though Just Watch says it, it's only on a few things, it is on Apple Plus or for 99 cents. So uh, ignore Just Watch if you don't want to pay more than $2 or $4 for it. It's a mystery. It's a Korean mystery. I like it a lot. Right on. Well, that sounds great. Well, thanks, everybody, for discussing Easter Promises. We will see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.